Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. That's how life works. That's right. Sometimes the people with the most shit get to say the least shit, and the people with the least shit get to say the most shit. So if you want to say most shit, get rid of some of your shit. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, a neuroscientist, was arrested for multiple bank robberies in San Diego earlier this week. But was it him that really robbed those banks? Or was it his brain? (laughs) (laughs) Only an fMRI study could actually answer that question. Yeah, that's Um, true. uh, But yeah, as a neuroscientist, like like there are neuroscientists who, who... get asked to do uh, to be a witness for the defense if i were him i would just put up all those libet studies on free will and like you know <laughs> i'm sure he will and be like notice that the area of the brain that's associated with robbing banks <laughs> is enlarged. activated <laughs> uh. <laughs> And not only that, but I have the gene for wanting to engage in a series of armed robberies <laughs> at credit unions. So <laughs> it, that that is a recessive gene. I don't think I. <laughs> yeah, it's like Tay Sachs. Um, <laughs> you you should test for it and abort he, babies if they're going to have it. But <laughs> all right. So today we are going to talk about. Ecclesiastes, a book of the Bible. The Bible! (laughs) The Bible, which for our many atheistic listeners who might be rolling their eyes right now, it's actually, (laughs) it's a fascinating book, whatever your belief system is, because it's not, or at least one way of reading it is that it's nihilistic, that it's essentially expressing a Camus-like vision of the world that everything is absurd and everything is pointless, meaningless, and it doesn't really back down from that in any (laughs) real way. We'll talk about... Oh, yeah. If you have atheistic leanings, this book is for you because, in fact, the whole story of it even being (laughs) included in the canon is just one of discomfort by all of those who have like tried to defend it. And definitely one of the things I want to talk about is why, why is it in the Bible? Mm-hmm. I, when, when I've taught it, that's like a question that the students, some yeah. students ask. Wait, th- why is this in the Bible? Like, how did it make it in there, you know? I have a theory about that. But. Okay. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about in the second segment. In the first segment, 
I don't know, Neuroskeptic has been a little bit, uh, he's been slacking in terms of giving us opening segments recently. So we have to turn to that other gold mine. But once again, Eon coming through for us, man. It it does. And <laughs> let's just, quick caveat, we, lo- we love Eon. We're glad it exists. We're glad, aside from that it, we're about to trash something <laughs> that's on it. Opening segments, we like to have fun. I know, Tamler, you got a lot of shit for your uh, blatant disregard of the truth of antinatalism in our previous opening segment. I um, did. But I was compared to an Ayn Rand fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that <laughs> works. Exactly. Um, but but uh, I, I like Eon Magazine. I, like, I'm glad, I'm really glad that they exist. And even though they give us fodder sometimes for what are ludicrous claims, it's, never, it's, it's, it's rarely not interesting. And it's rarely poorly written. It's including well edited, this piece. including this piece. It's well edited. Yeah. I like uh, Nigel Warburton, who's the the editor, of Philosophy Bites guy, one of the people responsible for Philosophy Bites, which is a great resource. So, okay, all that out of the way. Here is this one, which is written by Luke Brunning. The title is "Imagine There's No Jealousy." Imagine <laughs> there's no jealousy. Why we should understand jealousy as nothing more than a vice that ought to be replaced by the new virtue of compersion. Tamler, I've never heard that word. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about the word, <laughs> its origins, uh, uh, very soon. How would you describe? How would you? What's the abstract of this? The abstract is: don't think jealousy is a good emotion. Jealousy is a very bad emotion, and and. If you really want to cultivate a good emotion for a relationship, it should be not just removing jealousy, but introducing a new emotion in your life that allows you to be happy at the romantic and sexual successes of your partner. So I don't know what, like, what, like, there's no label for that emotion. (laughs) Well. Or or virtue. (laughs) Well, turns out, turns out there is. And uh, (laughs) that, that word is compersion. (laughs) <laughs> compersion. So what is compersion? So uh, there, he offers up four definitions. I think it's very well captured in the first one. Uh, the joy at seeing one's partner happily in love with others. Feelings of pleasure in response to a lover's romantic or sexual encounters outside the relationship. A feeling of joy experienced when a partner takes pleasure from another romantic or sexual relationship. So, 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 although this is about jealousy, supposedly, it's really about sexual and romantic jealousy. Right. It's, um, it's you know, one of the things that researchers sometimes distinguish and may, maybe people dis- distinguish in, real, in, in everyday life is the difference between jealousy and envy, where envy is you want something somebody else has, whereas jealousy is, and this is important for the article, uh, is um, be feeling threatened that something you have might be taken away from you. So jealousy here is the jealous sexual jealousy, though. It's right. not jealousy uh, that involves your job or jealousy that involves some other part of your life. Right. Um, podcasts, like you being <laughs> jealous when I went on Sam Harris. That's right. And, and you soon to be jealous because I went on Freakonomics. Um, that, uh, <laughs> God, that's right. No, you know what? I'm going to feel compersive about <laughs> you going on Freakonomics. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're cultivating compersion. I'm, I'm cultivating it. When we have Sam back on, we should ask him if he can include compersion as part of the meditative uh, of his app. To, yes. To let us- Sam, Sam Harris is coming back on the podcast. Um, so yeah. more details about that later. But um, but yes, okay. So 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 I wanted to start a little bit by saying actually like the the way that Brunning is it sets sets the stage because I think it's it's important to to get how there's a subtle shift, like a sneaky shift in the rhetorical strategy here. So he starts off yeah. by saying, you know, jealousy, jealousy can be terrible. And like, obviously, I think that's obvious, right? Like jealousy is an actually a really difficult emotion to deal with in a romantic relationship. And at its extremes, I think can give rise to super ugly um, behaviors. Violent um, behavior. Violent behaviors. It's, you know, it's a whole, I think a whole lot of, you know, once you're feeling that jealous, your relationship is probably over and you're doing whatever you can yeah. to cling on to it. It can make us really insecure and clingy and needy and like shitty feeling from the inside and shitty acting from the outside. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think most people can agree with this, but I think a lot of people, including us, would say, uh, you know, having the emotion, at least a bit of the emotion shows that you actually care about keeping your your relationship and the, it's sort of a signal and here's where i think error one no i don't think anybody would argue that a lot of jealousy isn't bad in the same way that they wouldn't argue that a whole lot of anger or a whole lot of sadness isn't also bad yeah. um if it is if it is sort of an inappropriate amount or it's directed in appropriate in an inappropriate way or it can have damaging effects like of course, anger is a, I think a great example. Like of, of course, of course, yeah. But a little fear, bit, yeah, fear. But a bit of it is actually like there's a reason we have those emotions, right? Like they actually can can lead to beneficial outcomes, and and it just is true that most emotions, right, are, like have have uh, some re- good purpose and good function, and that they at their extremes would lead to bad shit. But it seems really intrinsic to our experience. Um, that w- as humans that we have, even as a byproduct of caring, it, it seems, it seems hard to know that you wouldn't, if you really care that you, that you wouldn't feel threatened when something you care about might be lost. And so, and that's just what we call jealousy, right? It seems. Yes. Right. Uh, if, if not constitutive, cause I don't right. think necessarily it's a byproduct of caring about somebody deeply. So then the, the author Brunning goes through, um, uh, some philosophers who who defend jealousy and just the ways that we're giving this kind of qualified defense of it as a sign of caring and as a sign that you don't want to lose them, and then makes this jump to, well, okay, maybe those things are true, although the author doubts they're as true as the philosophers seem to think. However, if you can't just look at jealousy in isolation. So you have to look at it holistically. You have to uh, imagine a different kind of trait that you could cultivate rather than jealousy. Now, nobody's saying you should cultivate jealousy. People are just defending th- its presence within us. Um, right. Nobody that I know of is saying you should try to become I, a more uh, jealous person. Right? Although he weirdly, he weirdly seems to attribute this view to some, so, to yeah. some people, but, but I think... Yeah. <laughs> but I, but 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 wrongly right. and um but what he's saying is this point i think would still hold if you were just 
defending its existence in our emotional repertoire, you know, you can't just look at jealousy. You have to think of what could be in its place. And in its place, you could imagine this character trait, compersion, which is instead of feeling like shit when your wife, husband, partner, romantic partner is banging somebody else or uh, or just deeply in love with somebody else, you should feel great about it. That's awesome. So this is the first leap that really annoys me, which is he went from saying jealousy is bad, jealousy is worse than than people think and should never be cultivated, um, which we all agree on. It's like so this is like saying sometimes anger is really bad, whatever. You know, you shouldn't cultivate an angry personality. To saying so what do you do now that we agree that jealousy is bad? Not only should you try to remove it, you should try to seek this other emotion, compersion, which would have as as its object a completely different goal. Like it would it would actually just it's this is not an emotion you can cultivate if what you want to do is maintain your monogamous relationship. This is an emotion that he is saying you should cultivate. But by the way, by cultivating it will mean that you will be totally comfortable with your partner banging somebody else. You'd be not comfortable. You you will be excited about it, vicariously and not, enjoying it, not even yeah. in a masochistic way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so now, where where did they get this word? It it came from a non-monogamous commune in San Francisco had a séance, and the Ouija board gave them this word. I guess they were looking for this word and a Ouija board gave them the word. Right. It's a compersion. Somebody sat around a Ouija board and (laughs) And that's the the Ouija board. An evil demon whispered it in their ear. It was like an analytic philosophy Ouija board or something (laughs) like that because that is something that an analytic philosopher would come up with. So I I, I got a lot of shit. Both of us got a lot of shit for our remarks about polyamorous people. But this is why people don't take them seriously is because they invent a whole new emotion based on a, a, a seance with a Ouija board in like, I mean, just well, as a PR, like, don't. well, I, let's, let's be fair. <laughs> I, I don't like, we were being lighthearted about polyamory and I don't yes. even think it's fair to say that you were mocking polyamorous people because there's nothing to mock. There is only the expression of that we had, which was a, a fundamental inability to put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who who would be okay with that kind of relationship. Yeah. I so I actually had a bunch of listeners change my mind about the polyamory uh, remarks that we sort of flippantly made in one episode. Yeah, that and, you flippant, yeah, that you, and, yeah. I think that you flippantly made. Too. I was you, defending it. I defend all I, of our I, I, uh, I, all of our oppressed <laughs> listeners from your attacks. <laughs> you might have been worse, actually. But um, <laughs> like I, that said, like I'm sure these these polyamorous Ouija board demon listening analytic philosophers do not speak for the whole polyamorous community. And I believe <laughs> I like I'm also convinced, like in talking to polyamorous people, that they don't experience the jealousy that I do, and I champion it. I it yeah. would be it would be an amazing thing to find somebody else who felt the way that you did and 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 live a polyamorous life and you may even have a feeling that is it that is particularly about um the enjoyment that your partner gets yeah i i totally buy it and this is how my mind was opened or changed <laughs> is i just i i like i think maybe some people are wired differently and if you're wired like that great that's awesome right. 
yeah. as long as find somebody else that's also wired that way. Uh, totally. And uh, it, but but it's like I just resent that I was on board for the like yeah jealousy is kind of bad like and then all of a sudden I'm like supposed to be feeling good <laughs> at the thought <laughs> of my partner just being with somebody else like you can't sneak that agenda into your emotions it's supposed to be a science it's supposed to be something we discover not something that you invent and then tell me I'm supposed to feel like you know what I have a new emotion that I want to invent I'm going to label it something I don't decided what and it is some fucking humility about the claims that you're supposed to make about the science of psychology <laughs> I don't know what that feeling is but Wait, it's a specific like, kind of humility let's think of a word for that uh, <laughs> uh anyway i yeah no i don't obviously right so but i think the idea is look you have this really bad like the anger analog is is a good one let's say that you're somebody prone to anger and maybe to be you get angry at the wrong things you might try to work on minimizing how often you get ang angry and replacing i mean some other strategy some other way of responding to your anger triggers or something right? right if you have anger too much like if it's excessive if it's causing you to act in ways that are harmful and all like all of that but like you know, i think you and i have have been convinced by the robert frank view of emotions that these these things sort yeah. of develop um that they they probably have their their origin in some evolutionary benefit that they confer and part of what makes them so beneficial is that they are pretty automatic right they're pretty pretty hard to control um what he calls commitment devices which is is to say they obviously have some value and we as human beings can choose to regulate these emotions when we think that they're inappropriate which is all fine and dandy but like right. But yeah, and minimize its damaging effects. If you're someone who's especially jealous or hyper jealous, then you absolutely try to like tamp that down a little bit. Don't don't get too paranoid. Um, but Luke you know, running is is just trying to get us to like go to a key party. Well, it's and, like and I've been married <laughs> for a lot of years, and like I'm now supposed to all of a sudden because jealousy has these bad effects for a lot of people. And maybe like I've been too jealous at certain points in my life. I'm now supposed to like cultivate this compersion virtue. And it's she not, I want to be clear. It's we're, I don't think we're straw manning this, uh, uh no. th this claim or this article by saying that like, well, this is just, if you have the goal of non-monogamy, then you should cultivate this because that I would be totally fine with. No, you would probably this really saying like yeah. jealousy is wrong. You people have been doing this wrong. Like you, your, your jealousy is so wrong, um, but your goal is also wrong. So like cultivate this new thing. So like you're not, he's not just saying cultivate the emotion. He's saying, dude, chill, like be open to non-monogamy. You'll love it. Come over to my house. Have a glass of wine with me and my wife. <laughs> um, and but even if I, you went to like a key party, what, like... That's fine. Like, okay, have fun. But like, you don't have to like really be excited also that your wife is having sex, right? Oh, that's awesome for her. And I hope it's really, really good sex. I hope it's like the best sex she ever had. You don't want to go full, full cuckoldry video. You don't full. want to go full. <laughs> <laughs> Never go full cuck. Uh, yeah, don't go full, full cuck. That was your problem. You went full cuck. Um, <laughs> All right. I also want to know like what the theory of emotion or trait acquisition is here. 
because he he makes a very strong claim, which is we can all, it is all in our power, if we just read this and are convinced by the argument, to become compersive, to uh, develop the trait of compersion. The way we do that, the way we com- cultivate compersion as a character trait is to understand why we feel jealous. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, no, there's, there's no hiding the normative here. Well, no, this like is an empirical claim about how to cultivate a brand new non-existent mm-hmm. trait. Yeah. So his theory seems to be that, um, so he says, first, we can redirect our attention by asking of a situation, what does this experience mean to them? In focusing on their good, we're less likely to focus on beloved's flourishing only insofar as it bears on ourselves. So, so the first one is just like, just focus on your partner's pleasure. Like, don't, like, stop, stop being in, inside yourself. Oh, yeah. like, just imagine, <laughs> just visualize the sex that your partner is having. <laughs> so, and the second is resist construing other people as rivals. Like, stop thinking of that person who's banging your spouse as somebody <laughs> who's competing with you. High five them. Just give yeah. them a high five. This is basketball. It's not tennis. This is a, this is a team sport. <laughs> and, and they're on your team. Finally, we can think empath- empathetically about others. So here's the, here is the, where I get the normative sense, where it's just like, if only you felt empathy, you fucking insensitive clod, you would develop compersion, right? It's like, I don't know. This is where Paul Bloom has been on board, like this whole article, and then he just jumped ship right here. <laughs> Wait, I, so we have a different analysis of this. I thought we have to think of the source of our jealousy and realize that it comes from a sense of entitlement, a sense of being possessive, and of panic and indignation that stems from that. So what he calls irrational attachments, he says like, yeah, "Yeah, sure, we're like, you know, we grew up being attached to people, but come on, do you really need attachment, right? And then he goes on to conflate attachment with just straight up possessiveness, like you're an object that I, that I own. But I think, I think you're right. I, so, okay. So I, I was reading it more like cognitive behavioral therapy where he's like giving us strategies to block the thoughts that we, we endorse as irrational. So, so it would be like, uh, like every time you think of this, you know, take some like deep breaths and and realize that it's wrong. Yeah. yeah. But, but you, but you were saying more like psychoanalysis where right. you you see where the jealousy is truly coming from like that oh you know the here's why I'm acting in this self-destructive way cuz I wanted to fuck my mother or something and, <laughs> that's right and then then magically on the couch you'll just stop wanting to do it i'll just stop wanting to do it because i've had that realization well i mean i think it's a it's an element of both and yeah i was gonna uh, say maybe this is the power of this approach Tamler, is that you can you can approach it from any of, of multi multiple ways all right final thoughts there is this new tendency i don't know if it's new because pf strassen was complaining about this in freedom and resentment right of trying to question basic both emotions and also the interpersonal kinds of relationships, how we uh, express the emotions within those relationships, like the the very fundamental ways in which we relate, trying to just completely overhaul it, like a Stalinist wants to overhaul (laughs) a society or something like that, is... (laughs) To me, even if the arguments were better, 
there's something that's fundamentally missing for how you understand uh, human nature, human relationships, and and ethics and morality. Yeah, I think P.F. Strassen is a, is a good... Well, first of all, I want to say I'll never tire of your hyperbole. And the P.F. Strassen analogy is right. I think I was convinced by this that that you can you can have a, a belief, a normative belief about how people ought to act, how they ought to make responsibility judgments, how, you know, how they ought to make uh, judgments of blame. But the truth, the, the matter is that there is only so much control human beings have over these sorts of reactions. And, and I think that we, we're doing a, a good service to say, you know, we have more power. We can suspend our reactive attitudes, to use Strassen's language, every once in a while when it's very important. But good luck trying to turn them off. Right. Yeah, and we can even revise them. We can try to, we could like, I, I, I'm sure there are people who are too jealous. Right. And they should definitely try to diminish the 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 number of times and the and the degree to which they feel jealous because it's part it's self destructive, right? But yeah. that to go from that to just get rid of it entirely, replace it with something else, that's the thing that Strassen worried about as dehumanizing. There is something dehumanizing about what these kinds of arguments try to do yeah and even i'm willing to say even if it's even if it is the right view in some sense in some ideal sense it's certainly not going to be a successful one i just don't know what that sense would be i suppose like in some if you were inventing people would you instill jealousy in them i don't know you know yeah but that's again like that it's that approach that yeah and i i i don't know I, if I was gonna, if I was a sociologist or had those kinds of ambitions, you might try to figure out why these kinds of things are propping up more in the modern age than they are. In it's because the they want to, they want to attack people who think like you. Think. And, uh, no, I I think it has something to do about a social disconnect. But um, yeah. it is a weirdly sort of rationalist. I you know I, like time was. Everybody thought most emotions should be gotten rid of, but but then we sort of at least when in, was this in psychology? You know, I mean, it was there was very much this rationalist thought. I mean, maybe this is just Kant, the Kant in me coming out. Yeah, but that emotions were generally not a source of good. Right, that these that they were they were a source of right. bad things. That these it was what made us like the beasts. Right, but the ability to reason right. and overcome these emotions are are right. what makes us. They distorted the truth yeah. in every way, and um, but and in this case, it's not fight. reason that's gonna that's gonna bring you uh, to the good life. It's another emotion, compersion. Compersion. All right. Well, um, we will be right back to talk about Ecclesiastes.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. At this time, we like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners who get in touch with us, who, first of all, download our episodes, listen to them, get in touch with us in all the various ways that you do over email, on Facebook, um, on our subreddit, Very Bad Wizards subreddit, on Instagram, all the different ways. Um, We love it. We appreciate it. We wanted to give a special shout out. something really nice on Reddit, Um, even though you keep bad-mouthing Reddit. I don't oh know why. Oh my god, like, I love Reddit. Reddit. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been on Reddit yeah. since Reddit was a thing. The Reddit Twin Peaks subreddit of Twin Peaks has taken up days of my life. <laughs> it's just like entire days. So uh, anyway, yeah, there so there's always really interesting and good discussion on that and someone uh gave us a shout out just to thank us, which was really nice to yeah, here, yeah. Read. I'll put a link to to the post by uh, user would be something um, who just took the time to post just a thank you. Yeah. Usually, when so, people thank me, they're asking me for something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So we so we so we love it. Um, you can email us verybadwizards at gmail dot com. You can tweet to us at Tamler at peas at verybadwizards. You can follow us on Instagram. You can like us on Facebook. You can rate us on iTunes. There's been some very shady things going on at iTunes <laughs> these days, and I don't even blame Partially Examined Life uh, yeah, for yeah. this. All of a sudden, it but, just started showing up like podcasts that stopped like seven years ago as like the number two yeah. philosophy podcast. Yeah, very shady. But yes, you please rate us on iTunes. It's, it's a way for our people to find us. You can also support us in more tangible ways by going to the support page on our website. There you'll find a number of different ways to support us. Um, You can give us a one-time donation on PayPal. You can uh, click on the Amazon link and then do all your normal shopping, and we will get a small cut of that. We really appreciate people who take the time and who remember to do that. You can um, become a Patreon supporter we we love our patrons. There's also good discussion sometimes of our episodes on that page. And there are some bonuses, including for our $2 and up supporters, uh, bonus episodes. And we're about to do one. So uh, to show our appreciation for, our, for all of our Patreon supporters, they, it's a consistent way of supporting us that really keeps us going and keeps us doing this podcast every couple of weeks. So we really appreciate all the, all of our patrons. Yep. Thank you all. Okay. So Ecclesiastes, <laughs> Dave, how did you get introduced to this? Probably in a different way than I did. <laughs> a very different way. You know, I, um, as, as many of our longtime listeners know, I was raised in a very religious household. Um, specifically I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh-day Adventists, um, they're my people. I love them. One of the things that they very much like to do is read the Bible. <laughs> so as a kid, I was very encouraged to read the Bible. But, you know, if you're a kid and you're a nerd and, and, and you are told to read something, you, you really, really read it. So, <laughs> so I really, really read the Bible. In fact, one of my favorite pastimes was to find really fucked up texts in the Bible. So whenever somebody asked me to say a text for worship, for like Sabbath worship, I would pull out like really... <laughs> Like what? Oh man, like like there's a verse in Ezekiel 
um, it talks about the uh, it's a metaphor of Israel being being God's woman, and he says that you left and you cheated on me. You went to seek lovers in Egypt who have genitals the size of donkeys and emissions the size of horses. <laughs> It's great. It's like Ezekiel 30, uh, 23. But Genitals the size of donkeys and what was it? Emissions the size of emissions. horses. Yeah. yeah. I might get, be getting right. it the wrong. That's the King James version. <laughs> so, but Ecclesiastes early on, I remember just, you know, I don't remember at what point I realized how cool it was, but, but I think that I really realized it when I was in college in my existential sort of dabbling with, with the existential literature. Yeah. And I realized that this book just was, I like to think that it was because I was being really deep, but I was probably being emo and fake deep at the time. But like, I thought, man, this is really wisdom. This is, this, this is, it seemed to me even back then, like it was, it was a deep truth. It, it's, it resonated with me. And I think it does with a lot of people. I think this is, it, it touches people from you know, whatever, both really religious people, but also people who have strayed from it or who have abandoned it or rejected it. There is something deeply meaningful, beautiful about it that is, I don't, that it just resonates. What you said about my, right, right now, that beautiful part. I, yes, I didn't say that, but it's beautiful. Yeah. It is. There's, and, and which is funny given how bleak. Right. The message, it, it can be interpreted as unrelentingly bleak, but there is something beautiful and almost, um, I don't know, like there's something comforting about it in a weird way, yeah. which yep. may be why it's included in the Bible. We can speculate right. about that later. I, I'm sure maybe, I, you know, in Hebrew school, we talked about it, but I have no memory of it. And in this great books course that I team teach, it was put on the syllabus. And I, you know, a lot of the Bible stuff that we do, I always enter in with, you know, deep caution and wariness. And I had never heard of Ecclesiastes. And then I started reading it in preparation for um, talking about it with my students. And I was just blown away by it. I couldn't believe it. Like you said, right. it's like, it's like Camus. It's like Nagel the Absurd. It's right. like. Exactly. Uh, but written, you, you know, fucking, you know, like 400 years before Christ, sort of. Yeah. And, and it was just mind boggling to me that this was in the Bible and that that was, you know, in the, the, in the Jewish tradition, you read every portion of the Bible on the same date and you always read it on Sukkot, which is one of the major holidays, comes right after Yom Kippur. And. You know, just the idea that that's like a celebration. That's a day of celebration, and this is what they read on that day is 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 fascinating to me. And as a text, just even if you separate it from the by the fact that it's in the Bible as a text, I think it's really interesting. It can be interpreted in tons of different ways. It has a kind of a bleak message. It has sprinkled within it, and especially right at the end, a, a kind of pious message. Right. And then it also has this kind of Epicureanism mm -hmm. laced within it uh, in terms of what we should do about the fact that we, that we don't know anything, that everything is, is meaningless, futile, 
absurd and there is a sense of enjoy the pleasures of life that are given to you all of that is kind of it's the way it's baked in it's it's at times poetic it's at times the it's like third person narrative sometimes first person narrative sometimes it's just really interesting as a text right it lapses into poetry in the middle of the prose yeah Yeah. Uh, proverb just all of a sudden just some proverbs thrown in there like uh, so i guess let's talk about it's the genre so i guess it's part of what people call wisdom literature and it's one of the books of wisdom in the bible along with job and proverbs Proverbs. and and sometimes psalms i guess or some psalms yeah Uh, Yeah. yeah right um I mean, this and Job are, are my favorite books uh, for a reason. Um, and yeah, so I, I actually remember taking a class on, class on the books of wisdom. Some of the analysis, it, you know, despite being very still, very God-centered education, um, the professor was good and gave us a lot of good analysis, like tra- trains you how, how to read the Bible as text, right? He was a, yeah. he was a real scholar. And... I I wanted to mention that one of the reasons I get so much joy um, from reading some of these books is from the ambiguity that comes from the translations, right? So yes. we so we talked briefly off before we recorded that that you know there's all these different versions. You read different versions and it says really really different things, yeah, you know, including like the key word in yeah. this, which is vanity. In my translation, not your translation. So, right. so here's how it starts. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. In my translation, vanities of vanities, says the teacher. Vanities of vanity. All is vanity. And that just is a motif that repeats. This is vanity. That's vanity. Everything is vanity. Right. That's not your translation. No, right? no. Some, so mine... It says meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And I think that's just understood to be the better translation. I mean, because the word vanity has come to mean other things. Um, It's come to mean something like a bad character trait. Right. Like pride overblown. You know, it's like like no compersion. (laughs) <laughs> no compersion. <laughs> a lack of compersion. It's, it's come to mean that. No, but and I think the idea is that it's partly your fault or there's some vice that you would have. And that's not what... So the actual literal word is hevel. It's a yeah. Hebrew word. And it is literally mere breath or mere vapor. So the idea is that it's, it's everything is just breath. It's like hot air, kind of. It right. is it's uh, ephemeral. Just, it's a. It's ephemeral. It's right? ephemeral. That's one way of translate. You could even translate it um, that way. You could translate it as f- meaningless. You could tr- translate it as futile. I think um, absurd. But the idea is that whatever you think you're going to get <laughs> out of the world you're not going to get right it's just you're uh, another thing that is translated different ways although i think this is there's a little more consensus chasing the wind yeah you know the, that's another recurring theme that it's all that that the things that you try to do cultivating riches or or knowledge or it's just chasing the wind but i did uh, come across a translation that said shepherding 
the wind. <laughs> like you're actually <laughs> like trying, herding cats. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you're herding sheep except it's wind so there's right. no way you can hurt it like i like that actually i like that image of <laughs> you're trying to hurt something right. that can't be hurted you right. know um so we should say just sort of as a just to couch the discussion so this is so this is set as the words of a king looking upon his life of an old king who has experienced everything yes. there is to experience um there's an illusion that this is King Solomon, son of David, king in Jerusalem. I think it's understood generally that it couldn't have been. Um, yeah, there's language in it that was that's not traced to the right. time that Solomon is supposed to have lived. Right. Uh, the dates, I think, are, are placed, the possible dates are placed at um, between 450 B.C. or B.C.E. and 200, right. which is fascinating in and of itself. Because it's very different depending on when it's written, and especially does the writings of Epicurus and that school have time to reach the author when when they're writing this is a really interesting question. If it's 450, then no, because Epicurus hasn't lived. Right. It's so funny also when you read these datings, when you're like, wow, you know, like we kind of have it narrowed down. But can you imagine if someone was like, I don't know if it was in 1800 or in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. How can you not know? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's it's and these are th this is like the whole Athens philosophy right. like happens That's in right. that in the, a, that exact period of time and so, you know, all the like western philosophy is born and evolving during this period. Right. So, and and this is the this is the philosophy. This is the bit of philosophy that exists in the Bible. Like it really does yeah. read like philosophy. It really yeah. does. It's full of, it reads like philosophy, but I would say in some ways it reads more like Eastern philosophy in that there's no real unity to the how it's being conveyed, what the message is, and there's a lot of contradictory passages. There's <laughs> so many contradictions, like and, and I don't want to go deep into some of them, but it will, he, it, the, the author will contradict, uh, will say one thing and then the next sentence say something that at least seems completely inconsistent right. with that. And it's 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 weird because I don't think until this round of reading it that that I noticed how inconsistent it is because I had never really read it as a as a I mean I had in in college I guess but but it just reading it it reads sort of like a stream of consciousness. And it, and it never bothered me that he seems to say very different things because both of the things that he says are tr seem true to me, you know, yeah, <laughs> even exactly. if they're contradictory. And I think that's really an important point is that I think we have sides of us that are drawn to many of the things, even including some of the contradictory things that are, that are in the text. And it is a great expression of that. That's part of the beauty of it. And yeah. the... the the deep philosophical and artistic quality of it is that it expresses different sides of yourself that don't aren't necessarily harmonious. Right. Right. So it doesn't, you know, I don't think it matters who, who wrote it and it probably matters little unless you're a scholar. If you just want to read, if you just want to grok that they have the meaning probably doesn't matter uh, whether it was a king or not, but it does seem to me that this is a person who has lived of a long life, um, and who's actually experienced these things. I don't know. It seems very experiential. 
Yes. And like a long and successful life, at least by external measures of success. That's right. And it reads as an old person. And I think there's yeah. actually a lot of uh, text at the end that suggests that this is uh, an old person who has grown weary with the things that used to excite right. them and doesn't want the you, the young people to fail to, to appreciate some of yeah. the things that he can no longer appreciate. And you know, um, actually, like, I have to say that reading this as a young, as a young person, I think it actually helped me. Like, I think it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget all this advice. It's easy to forget that you should enjoy life more. But, but it, did, it did, I think, impart some wisdom that I, I think I'm better off having having heard this i I think you also maybe read it differently like as a young religious kid and as a (laughs) middle-aged uh atheist and as and that's part of why it's in indelible yeah um all right so let's talk about it um it's not something you can spoil and it's not it doesn't have a coherent (laughs) narrative but it does have a kind of a frame so it starts out uh as a narrator saying, here are the words of presumably Solomon, but it doesn't have to be. It could be someone, someone in the line of David, someone who is a king in Jerusalem. It then goes into a first-person narrative. Right. So the frame is third-person, and then it goes into a, a, a first-person narrative, where it's, it right. says, I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, Right. Applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw that all deeds are done under the sun and see all is vanity, meaningless, and chasing after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. So already, just it just starts out as, wait, wait God has given human, like has just made human beings unhappy it's a bad business and what is crooked can't be made straight there's nothing to do about that that's right you can't you can't fix that or at least there's a way to sort of address the situation but you can't fix what's crooked yeah what is is what is like you can't try try as you might to to change things um sometimes when i when i read my students papers and they don't get to the point for for like three paragraphs um, I'm going to just give him this because yeah. <laughs> literally the <laughs> two second verse is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And it gets right to some of the contradictions. So like at first wisdom is vexation, at least in right. my translation, uh, right before the second chapter. Uh, for in much wisdom is much vexation and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. Right. And this doesn't, you know, there are going to be passages that that go against that. I mean, even at the beginning, when he says, um, uh, "I I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens," the very authority that he has to be telling us is that this is comes from great wisdom, right? So, yeah. so it is his wisdom that has given these truths. And right, you know, a few verses later, he's like, "By the way." If this is something you want, you should know. In my translation, it says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Yeah. Yeah, the more grief. The more you know just how inexplicable everything is and how unjust everything is and how little you know. 
you start to realize how how limited your perspective is and how much you don't understand about including God and everything. Right. So we have contradiction uh, one. Well, maybe not contradiction, but at least unexpected sort of wisdom. Wisdom is is probably a bad thing for you. And then except that it's not it's not worse than being foolish because no, exactly. he says later that being foolish is, is it's better to be wise than to be foolish. Right. So it's like it's not like there's no ha- it's just like, be prepared okay, to so, be unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not like yeah if you if you're not wise then you're fine. It's no yeah. like being foolish has its own problems. Right. Being wise has right. This uh, is not an ignorance is bliss claim. It's a it's this a particular kind of suffering you're going to experience when you're wise. Uh, there's this great thing, and this is all in the first chapter of cycles, like that there's just nothing getting done. There's just the same cycles repeating itself over and over. Um, a generation comes, a generation goes, or a generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun goes up and down. There's people uh, discover things, but there's no- nobody ever discovers anything new. It's all been said before, and it'll all be forgotten, and then it'll be discovered again, and then it'll be forgotten again, and there's just this, we think we're making progress, but we're not. And then there'll be generations that go through that same thing. And that seems also, that seems deeply true to me. Yeah, everything is a remix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, and that's this. That's a source of that's a source of meaninglessness, right? This is you know we maybe Nagel would say that this is a mistaken source of meaninglessness. Like if it didn't go in a cycle, would it be better? Um, right. But but I think this is kind of a robust, right? Like yeah, it might be. Like if I actually came up with anything new, if <laughs> maybe it would be worth it. This this is when we go back. So he's in the first person, and he says, "Let me tell you about my journey to." try to find like what what is good in life like let me tell you like i've just told you life is meaningless let me tell you how i arrived at this yeah i started with the most basic i he says i said to myself come now i will test you with pleasure to find out what is good but that also proved to be meaningless Uh, laughter is madness and what does pleasure accomplish i tried cheering myself with wine also wonderful and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. This always struck with me that this talk of like just in these few days of your lives, because as a young man, I was like, what are you talking about? Like we live so long. But as an old person, you're like, yeah. He tried the pleasure life. Right. That didn't pan out. It's all meaningless. And he goes into into quite, quite detail as to what the pleasures were that he tried. It reminds me of a lot, a lot of sort of Christian, um, come to Jesus sermons uh, where people will bear testimony to their lives and they would talk for like 45 minutes, an hour yeah. about like how they were fucking everybody and doing all these drugs and like <laughs> going to great detail. And at the very end, they're like, and I found Jesus and don't you want to find Jesus too? And I'd be like, no, I want to try that other shit you were talking about. And this is a recurring religious thing, right? Buddha yeah. tried this, like this is, you try a life of pleasure and you have to go through that to realize that that doesn't work. Right. But what's interesting about this is nothing really <laughs> seems to work. <laughs> yeah. And he tried a lot. Planted, uh, built houses, planted vineyards, made gardens, right? Presum- this is a king, so he yeah. has all the resources in the world. Made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. 
which you would think would give meaning to your life. Um, bought male and female slaves and had other slaves born in my house, owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He's, it's almost like a rapper bragging about like all the cars he has. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Tamler, in your translation, uh, verse eight of chapter two, uh-huh. where he says, <clears throat> I acquired male and female singers. Mine has a translation that apparently is a matter of interpretation. He says, and a harem as well. I got singers and, the, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of all the right. same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent doing it. And again, all was vanity or meaningless and a chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I think that under the sun is interesting in what allows people to sort of claim that this is prefiguring Christianity. There's nothing good on this earth, right. but in the 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 world to come, there uh, is. Maybe, yeah, but I I actually find that not a plausible reading of this text but i can see why in fact like certain students the religiously inclined students have said that that's how it was taught that this is taught that the earth and our life is not the thing that's going to solve our problems it's Mm -hmm. the next world it seems a stretch to me (laughs) i mean it's it's flatly denied actually in in a certain verse where he says like yeah exactly where where it says to enjoy the pleasures that you have on this earth because where we're going there yeah. there's nothing there's like nothing that nothing left yeah there's nothing essentially yeah um, so i take under the sun to be a poetic way of saying anywhere right yeah yeah i agree so 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 there's the, like just even the in the the line that you read like i tried wine and that and i tried laughter and that was all bad but then later in the text you know drink and be merry and enjoy your wine and enjoy your food exactly. and, and that that's what's good about life so how do you like what's what, like, what do you make just of that little contradiction we can talk about some of them but yeah. just of that one both both with toil and with pleasure it's this, that that contradiction so i yes. i i made of it it, I mean, here's maybe why it didn't seem like a contradiction to me. I, I feels as if the approach to why you're doing these things really matters. If you're, if you're, you know, chasing tail or whatever, chasing strange, some strange, because you want to feel meaning in life, then you're going to be disappointed. Um, but given that there is no meaning. Right. If you know that, if you if you already uh, realize that there's no meaning to your work or to this seeking of pleasure, then you might as well like take delight in the things that you're doing. Right. Right. Don't do it like he went into doing it. Yeah. Like, this is the life that's going to give me meaning because then it'll be chasing the wind, shepherding the wind. It will be in vain. Like that's actually the. You know, that's, like, right. that's where vanity is. That's right. right. Like it is in vain that you would do that. But to do it, I think that's abs- that's a great actually way of looking at it is that this idea of recognizing what's just kind of intrinsically good about those things, a warm body that you sleep next to, yeah. a the, the, the 
the being with friends and 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 the your the kind of just inherent sleeping well when you do a good hard day's work and the like those things yep. are just in and of themselves good but don't expect it to bring any kind of ultimate purpose or meaning to your life because that's chasing the wind that's right that's right that's why when i do cocaine i do it expressly realizing there's no meaning in life not (laughs) as a way to try to sort of fill (laughs) it's a very very different experience (laughs) (laughs) it is i think if you do it like that you don't get coke dick (laughs) that's what (laughs) oh god i gotta do that more yeah i think that's right and i that's it's contradictory only on on the face um um. maybe some other contradictions like the the, there's definitely a lot of passages that suggest that there's no justice that's i think one of the key themes and one of the things that made this resonate with me the most like as a as as a young person who's interested in morality and in ethics to have this hey the race isn't to the swift you know there is the just and the unjust get the same fate. So, um, right. The, the wise, like the fool will not long be remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the, like the fool, the wise too must die. Just remember like everybody dies. Um, there is no, there's no just distribution of gifts. But what I kind of like the, the kind of comforting part of that is I think implicit in people who complain about injustice is that, the unjust people are getting a better deal. And, and what he's saying is, no, the unjust people, the fools, the like corrupt people, the oppressors, they're all like, they're not having fun either. Like yeah. nobody's having fun. <laughs> right. Like you're no worse off if you're just than unjust. It's all chasing the wind. Right. It's all meaningless. It's all absurd. Right. And so you don't have to worry about them sort of getting an advantage through <laughs> their injustice. Because yeah, that's concern, futile too. Right. Don't concern yourself that much. That toil, the toil, the work part is a is another sort of thing that gets repeated over and over again. Like you you're doing work because you think you're gonna get something done. That's why saying there's nothing new under the sun is so it's it's so undermining. Because you think you think you're working hard to to leave a legacy, to make a to make a contribution. You're working your ass off, but you get nothing from it. So again, I think he's saying like you know, just take pleasure in what you do. Um, this is the gift of God, but I don't, I don't think that this is praising God too much. I, I think just like the book of Job, God in the book of Job is sort of the person who brings good and evil to the world. And when he appears to try to answer Job's questions, he just says, shut the fuck up. Um, I, this, I have made this world. Who are you to question me? And I, I get that same sense here when he says, nothing, just whatever God made, nothing can be added, nothing can be taken from it. It's less a, isn't God wonderful than it is, look, man, he's the guy who set up the rules. Like, there's nothing that you can do that's going to change anything. So you might as well just take delight in that. It's the freaking Big Bang. Kind yeah. of. Like, <laughs> exactly, right. But, but so here's the thing that I'm... Uh, that that I question because on on the same page in my translation, so earlier in chapter two, what do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain, and their work is a vexation. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This right. is also vanity. Right. So 
like that seems to contradict this idea that uh, yeah. it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in their toil. Like, unless it's like what you say that there's something that they're they're doing it wrong or something. I think so. I think that yeah. that the the toil and anxious striving is is this this view that you're working to to make anything permanent or to leave a mark or to find meaning when you work like that you're going to have anxious an anxious mind you're going to not yeah. be able to sleep at night your work is going to bring you grief and bring you pain and and unsaid like you're going to be dissatisfied yeah 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 and so so again it is I always read this as a kind of, well, not always because I read this before Sisyphus, but as a sort of Sisyphean take on it. Look, you're going to work. That work is meaningless. You might as well embrace it and enjoy it. You can find, I think the yeah. pleasure that you can find in doing work is, is one that, the, the one that will come once you realize that it's not what you thought it was, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can see that reading. I think there's a lot for it. I also think it, this could also be like sometimes toil, no matter how you approach it, really does suck. Yeah. And that's just life. Like sometimes your work is meaningless and it's not intrinsically enjoyable. The, the real evil is when there is work that has the potential to be fulfilling and, you, and it's not fulfilling because you're approaching it wrong. So I do think that there is this element of, no, like sometimes this is just, it's yeah. just bad. We're given a bad, the, the dice roll and we're losers, you yeah. know, in that, in the lottery of our toil and effort. And, but there, the, the real evil is when people have possessions or honors or work that they could enjoy, but they don't because they're uh, keep chasing after something, something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps it's funny because both of us, you to a lesser extent, are trying to resolve the contradiction in some way. Yeah, and I was just thinking to myself, like, because it's so foreign to me to be able to like just just accept the contradiction, you mm -hmm. know. Because I don't know, there must be something there. It's two different kinds of work, or two different approaches to work, or or right. Um, uh, maybe in some sense, I'm, it's borders on incoherent to me. That's why I can't accept it. But but in some sense, he's saying like, but work sucks, but you should work. <laughs> like take pleasure yeah. in work. Yeah, that's right. Like I think these are two sides of us yeah. sometimes that he that he is getting at, and maybe with no the author has no wish to reconcile them because they're not totally reconcilable. They are two aspects of life. Right. And um, right. yeah, and I do. I had that same thought. Like we're trying to resolve <laughs> these contradictions, but maybe that's. I mean, there's certainly one way of thinking is no, that's not what we're meant to do here right um so let me ask you i have a question for mm. you as a religious person and especially christian I, I i was struck by this when i read it i said in my heart with regard to human beings that god is testing them to show that they are but animals for the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same as <laughs> one dies so, so dies the other they all have the same breath and humans have no advantages over the animals for all is vanity and there's another passage that sort of repeats that idea. We're all just like animals, essentially. Yeah. Like there's no, 
that if there's one thing I associate with religion and maybe in particular Christianity, it's no human beings are special. Yeah. They're not like animals. Yeah. This is why I feel like this was a, you know, after having read the denial of death, for instance, where much of the theme is that we are simply animals who know that we're going to die. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and that's what brings us all this anxiety. Um, reading this is like, oh yeah, he was saying this, whatever, you know, thousands of years ago. But um, how did like your religious teachers yeah. just deal with that? So two things that might not be satisfying to you. One is it was rarely talked about, right? Until it was, until it was forced to talk about. So I, I remember reading these, you know, sort of as, as I was beginning to doubt things and finding some comfort that like, finally, somebody fucking has the balls to say, like, we don't know. How do you know if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes downward? Like, that is our lot on earth to not know for sure, right? Even if you say you have faith in an afterlife, there is a deep, deep truth to saying, who knows? The other thing is, in my particular religion, um, the, the mental gymnastics that was done to get out of this was to say, Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in a, a separate soul from from the body. So they, unlike most Christians don't believe that you go up to your spirit goes up to heaven when you die. They believe in, in bodily sort of, you really are ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And it's not until the second coming, um, that God reconstitutes your body magically and then takes you to heaven. And so they said like, Oh, this was an insight even back then before, you know, that we, we actually just go down into the ground. But then Jesus comes along in the second half of the Bible for us and like saves us from this. Yeah, I think this sits better with Jewish uh, tradition in that it's just not all about the afterlife to right. anywhere near the extent that it is for right. for Christians and especially maybe Catholics and um, and the new kind of Christianity, which really is very heaven and hell focused. Um, um, I wanted to say in the part right before this, this, this theme, we touched on it, this theme uh, where he says, verse 16 of chapter 3, and I saw something else under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, in the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. So a lot of this is lamenting the injustice of the world. Right, like pointing yeah. out how like how unfair everything is. Um, some of it seems to be just a, like a, a a meditation on it, saying like you know, don't like just this is how this world is. It's just not. It's unjust. Here is the one. This is one of the spots where it seems like the author really has some belief that God is going to take care of this. Right. So yeah. un, unlike the other part where I sort of waved it off as like a no. He's not really, tacked on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one seems like he, he has some belief that God as a judge will actually bring. But, but then he goes on to say, but when you die, who knows? So like, yeah, where, where we don't know he, if we go up or down or wherever. Yeah. But there, no, I, this is why I, I was saying, I forget where maybe on Twitter with some, uh, somebody who tweeted at right. us about this, that I think you could make an argument that the last, few verses aren't tacked on just fear god right follow his commandments because um it because there are sprinkled throughout the the text there's mm -hmm. a few other things but fear god like yeah. you know just god will judge you god will judge all your deeds um few people in my class when i just taught this in intro class said 
how they were taught about it. They were not allowed to read it until they reached a certain age. Wow. Because they, the, and I think this sounds reasonable, actually. You need a certain level of maturity to really appreciate what the message is. That's yeah. what they said. I thought that was... <laughs> I w- would you ever forbid your kid to read something like this? No. Yeah. No, but I showed uh, my daughter, you know, Chinatown. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no. You know what I think that my... Because I was, I was saying like this prob- This sounds like it's tacked on. What I realize is that it's not so much that there is a person who comes on and says they have faith in God and you should... Like, it's, it's the real concrete way in which they say it, where it's like, there's been no mention of God's commandments up until that point. Yeah, It seems right. like the mind of a smaller person who's like, by the way, follow God. So it lacks the poetry. It lacks the, the sort of... Um, it relies on almost like a karma. If you follow commandments, everything will go well. When we've just been told how nothing goes well, you know? But that, but that's the thing. There's so many, like so many of these little contradictions. But you're right that the tone of the last yeah. verses, which we'll talk about, is very different. We should talk about yeah. what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, uh, you mean the the last bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, so in verse twelve, oh, sorry, chapter twelve, natural place for it to end mm-hmm. would be verse eight. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. All is vanity. It would give this really nice well-rounded yeah. that's how it starts and that's how it ends right like and then it goes besides being wise the teacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs and then it goes on at the end the end of the matter all has been heard fear god and keep his commandments for that is the whole duty of everyone for god will bring every deed into judgment including every secret thing whether good or evil it's like whoa what, what right and I, my translation says something about like um uh the conclusion of the matter um here is the conclusion of the matter now that all has been heard fear god and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind and it's like well it may or may not be true but it definitely isn't summing up what has been said <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> like been- in that case my translation i think is better the end of the matter like, right it could just be that this is the new, like, it has to end on one contradiction. It's right. not resolving. So here's where it happens to be ending. Right, right. Um, I wanted to say, to, to go back to that part in Ecclesiastes 7, when he's talking about wisdom being good, a lot of the things that he's saying about wisdom are sort of pra- pragmatic goods. So, like, it's the case that if you have wisdom, um, so he says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. It benefits those who see benefits those who see the sun. This is verse eleven. Uh, wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this: wisdom preserve the, preserves those who have it. Uh, and so, so I think I think he's saying many times, like, "Hey, man, it's all things being equal. Like, if you have wisdom, you're yeah. going to do better. You're going to be able yeah. to to stack your chips. You know, um, live a life that is that is an easier life." Um, and I still think it holds that he says, but like, if that's what you think is going to bring you happiness, um, then you're still wrong. Right. Yes. Um, there's a great, there's a great in this chapter, one of my, one of the great sort of, maybe it sounds almost Hellenistic. He says, 
chapter, I mean, verse 15, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? (laughs) Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. So that's all of a sudden a weird kind of like a balance argument where he's like, you know, it's like saying the good die young, so don't be too good. You don't want to do that. Like, yeah. uh, it was, and it's the only time I found in the book that he's that he's making some sort of appeal to like this a middle know, this way, gold, this middle way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chapter eight um, on this topic: um, Though sinners do evil a hundred times and prolong their lives, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God, because they stand in fear before Him, but will not be well with the wicked. Neither will they prolong their days like a shadow because they do not stand in fear before God. So this is, again, a little bit like that last part where it's like, you know, you got to fear God, you got to do, uh, and being a sinner, you're going to get fucked in the afterlife. But then in, in, in chapter nine, all this I laid to heart, examining how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity or meaningless, since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the evil and the, uh, sorry, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. Uh, As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. Um, There is an evil under the sun that the same fate comes to everyone. Now, I mean, whoa, like how does that not completely contradict both the end and what just came yeah. before it in the previous verse? But like that, like I, I I'm, I'm amazed yeah. that that's in there. Right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's great. And like, yeah, my, one of my favorite parts in that theme in the same, that was uh, verse one, go down to verse 11. I've seen something else under the sun. This was always, I I had this memorized, I used to quote this all the time, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Yeah. That's just truth. That's just true. Yeah. You know, I think that it shook me from, from much of the dogma that whether explicitly or implicitly taught that if you follow God, things will go well. And a lot of people had to learn that lesson by having something shitty happen to them. And I think that I learned it this way. I I like to think that I did because, you know, I don't have to be touched by evil in order to see that there is no justice. Yeah. So here's what I think. If If you had to pick a mostly consistent message of the text... It's this kind of Epicurean recommendation. Go and eat your bread. This is also in chapter nine. It follows the God is like the same fate comes to everyone, whether you're good or bad or evil or wicked, whether you follow the commandments or not. Um, Go and eat your bread with enjoyment. Drink your wine with a merry heart for God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. So I guess don't 
use don't shampoo <laughs> always <laughs> always enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your all the days of your vain or futile life that are given to you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun whatever your hand finds to do do with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, Sheol, yeah. to which you are going. That's like the afterlife. I mean, right. Death, this, yeah. this is like, yeah, don't, you, this is like, this is a beautiful message. This is part of the beauty of it. It's, yeah. it's like we go around once and it's a huge missed opportunity if you, don't take advantage of whatever pleasures you're lucky enough to be granted by the world. And I, I, you know, lived my life in, in sort of this, my earlier life in this belief that, you know, there was eternity to, to wait for. So what you did here was just, you know, like a little small, small snippet. And I, I think the reminder that, look, even if, even if you're 99% sure, man, you're not a hundred percent sure. So enjoy this world, enjoy this life. If you can, because you might not be able to, because shit happens to everybody, right? But like to the extent that you can, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might, right? Because dead people can't do shit. Like that's that's the point. <clears throat> By the way, we, we skipped over the clear antinatalism. Yes, although it, th but then goes on to contradict. But yes, yeah. let's talk about that. <laughs> a good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. That's one of. Them. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Yeah, but then later says better to be a live dog than a dead lion. That's better a clear to, contradiction. It's a clear contradiction. Yeah. Like it's like it's no because dead <laughs> is nothing. You, and this is where this is a such an Epicurean idea. It's like you're nothing there, so the thing to do is to make the most of being alive because yep. tomorrow uh, is not promised. So make make the best of it now. Tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's not promised, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is what I, but, you know, like, I think it has something for the antinatalist and it has something for the <laughs> anti-antinatalist because life sometimes sucks for people and life sometimes is really good for people. And so yeah. you have sides of yourself that might really wish you had never been born. And then you also have sides of yourself that's grateful for the, opportunities that you're you've been granted because you're alive right and i think there really is something so so important about this this idea that in this world time and chance happen to them all so that like don't feel too bad when shit goes wrong with you it's not your fault <laughs> like you know there's not this just world isn't like that the world doesn't work with karma like it, it just doesn't I found that comforting because I think it's so tempting to think, especially as a young person, that whatever happens to you must be a result of what you did or what you deserved. Yeah, and 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 it seems like he's yes, yeah, so he wants to disabuse you of this idea that it's your fault or that there's somehow other people are getting a are are getting a better deal because they've been more either just or unjust. It's right. like no, this is just pure 
lottery. This is pure chance. But the one thing that you can do, the little bit of control that you have is to enjoy the times where the roulette wheel spins your way. Right. And not to just abandon that too, because right. that's the grievous ill. That's a recurring theme. Like the worst thing is when people who have riches or who have knowledge and wisdom, when they don't enjoy those things when they could. Right. And even when your toil is hard, you know, it's give a little Sisyphean smile, Sisyphean smile. Yeah. Right. Like that, that just remember you're alive. Just remember you're like, if things are going shitty, remember it's better to be alive. Yeah, you know, but 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 I would say like to the extent that you think Camus was thinking of this as defiant or rebellious in some way, <laughs> this is more like Nagel. No, it's not like yeah, you yeah. don't like. There's no meaning in being defiant or rebellious yes. either. It is just just like, that's all we have. Like, it's all we it. have. Pure, yeah, except I, it. yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Should we? I think it might be just. Uh, wrapping up like just just pick some of our favorite sure like yeah um because there's read a, lot. a bunch of them already but yeah yes. I, I did too yeah um there's a lot in here that's been become just part of like just part of culture right so yeah. you may not you may not realize until you read them that yeah like that <laughs> the whole song from the birds to everything <laughs> everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes so they depart they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands Right. Yeah, the the coming in naked and leaving naked. The the recurring thing that really resonates with me is at times he complains that human beings are never satisfied. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This is also vanity. But then to follow that up with, this is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of the life that God gives us, for this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them, even though he just said that <laughs> the wealthy never enjoy them. So likewise to all whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he en Ables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toll. This is the gift of God. If you're lucky enough to get a gift, appreciate the gift, you right. know? Right. And that's good. That's what he's seen. That's the one thing that this old person has seen to be good, you know? Right. Right. But what if your life sucks? <laughs> what if it's. Then you're <laughs> fucked, but, you know. Better to be a live dog. But at least don't feel like, you know, it's your fault or that. The unjust people are 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 like don't have that extra bit of resentment because their their life probably sucks too. That's right. It's a very much like an anti resentment sentiment here, which is like there's no there's no point in being bitter. Nobody nobody gets what they deserved anyway, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, there is a theme, and I, I think I've talked about almost everything that I highlighted, but but there is one mini theme that comes across in, in one of the sections. Um, that my favorite place where he says is, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on, our, on earth. So let your words be few. So he talks about like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it. And, and, and I get a little defensive because all I do is talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, your words um, are not Like few. that is the very thing that I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Me but, too. <laughs> 
but there is a theme there about like, you know what, just better to shut up sometimes, which I think is just deep, deeply true. If I could, if I could impart wisdom to, to young people, it's just like some, if, if there is something that you, you're not sure about whether to say or not, sometimes it's just better to not say things. <laughs> and I also think that this is another message of don't try to figure things out too much. Yeah, don't right. try to make consistent what can't be made consistent. Don't try to make straight what god has made crooked don't try to like rationalize don't try to just yeah shut the fuck up yeah. you know and yeah. that's it's like I, what I, yeah it's like what mia says don't you don't you think sometimes <laughs> it's good to enjoy a silence two people can shut the fuck up <laughs> if you've already just gone to the bathroom and <laughs> yeah, done that's like right. five <laughs> lines. fuck ton of coke <laughs> The one theme that we've touched on, but I wanted to just highlight because it comes in towards the end, is I think this is an old man giving young people advice. Um, and you get that at the end of Ecclesiastes 11, um, verse 9. Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and mm -hmm. let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Follow the inclination of your heart and the desire of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Banish anxiety from your mind and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. I mean, there's so many just kind of internal contradictions there. But there also is this idea that when you're young, like this is your time. This is when you're going to have the best opportunity to appreciate your life you're not going to be late you're not going to be weighed down by this kind of weariness that the author of this has and and so don't don't mess that up yeah. don't like lose that opportunity and then in the be, leading off 12 right after that remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years draw near when you will say i have no pleasure in them that whole that whole thing I have highlighted because it is a beautiful section. Yeah. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades mm -hmm. when people rise up at the sound of birds but all of their songs grow faint when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. If that is not the most beautiful capturing of the end of somebody's life, like it seriously brings tears to my eyes even reading it. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the breath returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the teacher, all is vanity. That they really should have ended the it end. there. They should have ended it there. Yeah. Yeah, and then besides being wise, uh, yeah. uh, oh, your commandments. Oh, uh, wait, uh, hold on a second. Uh, <laughs> forgot to say this. Yeah, that is absolutely beautiful and uh, poetic. And you know, let maybe just wrap up with a brief discussion. So I've teaching this course. Like, this is just a great thing for me, not having been brought up in any religious way besides like high holiday stuff, but not in any way just being involved with the Bible, it, it it does seem to me that the Bible is a rich source of philosophy, art, 
and I say this not as a religious person, but philosophy and art and beauty and just questions, questions that can make life richer. I, I know a lot of people already believe this, but I think it's, if you go through a kind of atheistic phase, as I kind of did, you start to think of the Bible as just stupid stories right. that make people do bad things. Like you're really missing a lot of the complexity of it. Yeah. That's fascinating to me that there's so much like this that's in there. I agree. And I, I, have, I came to the same conclusion coming from the other way. Right. If all you read yeah. it as is somehow God's instruction book, right? If you read it in order to like prove what it, whatever it is you believe and 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 read it as God's words and struggle to understand it as that, then you're also missing out, I think, on right? You have to do mental gymnastics uh, for Ecclesiastes. Yeah. And if you don't, you could just enjoy it as what it is, which is, I think, deeply wise sort of pondering about the meaning of life, you know? It's yeah, and I think I in the in some of the scholarship that I looked at and some of the just the blogs of people talking about it, I was I was really impressed by the sophistication of it that people, you know, they they saw the threat of it in terms right. of certain deeply held beliefs, but they they were totally willing to accept that that was part of it like that yeah. this is a part of life to question god to question justice and this is an expression of those doubts that is that are natural to have and that are inevitable for a lot of people there's a kind of wisdom in that yeah yeah no you're right um i think that I was just raised around a lot of people who wouldn't bother to blog about Ecclesiastes. <laughs> so who, who were like, well, no, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. <laughs> he couldn't have meant that. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is a thing of beauty. I wanted to say really quickly, Ecclesiastes 11, if there's any doubt that this was written by a Jew, um, he gives you investment advice in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ship your grain We're across the sea after many days, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. Yeah. Ship your grain across the sea after many days you may receive a turn. And this is the one. He's, he's exhorting you to diversify your portfolio. He says, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how. I, for some reason, I never got this <laughs> Jew gene where I'm good with money and, and like investments and any of that. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, this was fun. Maybe we'll do the book of Job. Someday, yeah. uh, someday, that, if, unless unless everybody hates that we did the Bible, but I hope. <laughs> yeah, I I think that this is a hard one to hate. This I I strongly yeah. recommend people read it. Before. It's short too. Yeah, no, it doesn't take uh, hardly any time at all. Although it does take time to really read it, like just you reading that the end of that passage. Yeah, it does uh, in, in chapter twelve. Like I don't think I fully understood until you started reading it the, the yeah. rhythm of it. Yeah. The, kind of and the beauty in the rhythm of Yeah, it, it is beautiful. And I actually really wish that I that I knew, you know, biblical Hebrew to, to be able to appreciate the you lose so much of poetry as anybody who's read translated poetry knows. Does this read as somebody who is depressed? He <laughs> So not clinically depressed, it didn't. But like I said, what it did give me is the impression of an older person who yeah. everything is a little hard now. Just getting out of fucking bed, 
just like your bones are weary. The things that you used to like, you don't look, yeah. like anymore. Like the things that you, this is something I've noticed. I, I can't get as excited about certain things as I used to when I, uh, when I was a kid. And, and I depend sometimes on my daughter to like have that kind of vicarious joy right. and excitement about things. Like the, as you get older, there's certain aspects. There's very good things about getting older, but there's certain parts of life that you can't that you can't approach with that same just unbridled enthusiasm. And I think he's telling the youth not to not to it's, let that go. Like or just, at least to enjoy it while they have yeah, it. That's what it's I always mean. hard yeah. advice to tell somebody to enjoy youth because it's the whole feature. It's a feature of youth that you're not even really thinking about. How could you right. know what you're missing? You yeah. Know? I mean, youth is wasted on the young exactly. is a very it's true so cliche yeah. <laughs> it is and i think this is saying just try to waste it a little less than yeah. you right. know right yeah all right all right um join us next time uh if if we happen to still be alive <laughs> on very bad with